Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Hey friends, I wanted to start off with some exciting news today. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then you've heard me say that a joyful life is all about the little details and that I have created this joyful life because I was sick and tired of thinking in my next life. This is resonating with you. I have got something that is going to be amazing for you. I've created a program called Kickstart Your Happy. We start the third week of September, and I'd absolutely love to jump on a call with any of you if you are interested. In this 12-week program, you're going to be able to create solid, repeatable routines. You're going to get the tools and strategies that you need, clarity, and a gratitude practice you are going to understand that you are in charge of your life. So if your life seems overwhelming and the day-to-day is monotonous, and you're just thinking that you need something to kickstart your life, this program is the perfect thing for you. I'd love to jump on a 30-minute discovery call. So send me a DM on Instagram at Candice Danielle Dunaway. The link is in the show notes because I want to make sure you are the perfect person. Spots are limited, and I cannot wait to see you inside the program. My next guest, Deborah, is serving our communities in ways she wished would have been available for her when she needed them. What had started off as a small, manageable illness over time snowballed into something bigger and overwhelming. Deborah wanted care that didn't feel judgmental. Deborah recognized that there were gaps in community care, and she was so determined to help close them that she ended up going to university at 37 while raising five children. From there, she was involved with a social serving agency and community development work, but she found that the approach was not one that aligned with her. This led her down a path of starting her own businesses, Hearth Social Profit, and Do More Good Social Benefit Housing and Development. She believes that there is a huge need for people to contribute to their communities in small and big ways that will make such a huge impact. So thank you so much for being here. I'm looking forward to diving in and hearing how you used your past struggles to create a space for people in need. Absolutely. So I had mentioned that your small illnesses snowballed into something bigger and unmanageable. Can you take us back to that time? What was going on for you? And what were some of the challenges that you were dealing with? Well, I had uh, five children under the age of six at the time. So um, don't judge, but (laughs) that's just how they came out. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, looking back, that was a good thing for us because it was all basically in a pod and we raised them and then they were out the door and, and all that. But at the time, my mental health took a a a crash dive um, and uh, postpartum actually uh, turned into a full-blown mental mental breakdown (laughs) and uh, I had uh, experiences well I was having suicidal thoughts which was very scary when you have five small children Um, so for two or three years I was I would be doing things like 
driving in the car and suddenly realizing that I was in the opposite lane facing a semi and kind of coming to and getting back into the right lane again. Um, I would come out of some sort of a fog in the middle of an intersection with everybody staring at me, wondering what the heck this woman was doing stuck in the middle of an intersection. So uh, things like that were very scary and put my children in danger, as well as my own just anger and, and just being afraid that I might want to hurt them. Um, so I had to go to the doctor. And it was a very, very difficult thing to do, because I was extremely afraid that with what I was talking about, somebody would come and haul my kids out. So that was that was really tough. And I think that probably for a lot of people, it's hard to reach out because of the fear of losing your children. I think nowadays things are a little bit more um, uh, compassionate, but back then, this 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, oh, <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't feel, and it wasn't as, um, as gentle as it can be now. Um, although still we have a long ways to go as a society, I think, and as far as helping people with mental illness. So yeah, I, I went to the doctor and um, in the, in that moment that I went to the doctor, I was actually in a depression phase. Um, but I also was manic as well, but I didn't understand about bipolar. And honestly, I've never been diagnosed officially with bipolar, uh, only from what I've learned and what I've experienced is, is kind of recognized that that's what I was dealing with. But I was given medication for depression, which caused its own issues because when I went into a manic phase, <laughs> I couldn't get out of it. <laughs> so, mm. uh, so then it just, it, it was just a, a uh, a segment of time where where I was crashing and flying and crashing and and uh, it was not very comfortable. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. So I want you to pause for a second. And so when you went in to talk to somebody finally, what was the reaction you got? And were you just pre prescribed like here's pills, take the pills, this will do the trick? Is that kind of how it went, or what was that like? So. <laughs> I did two things. First, I called our local mental health uh, um, organization. Um, I was in BC at the time. I have no idea what they're called. Uh, but, uh, and just said, is there some help for me? And um, the first thing that they said was, and I described to them what was going on. And they said, well, the first thing that we do is we put you in a group. And I, my, I was, I was completely crushed because I know my own personality. I'm a very caring person. I'm a leader. I'm, you know, all these things I know about myself. If I was in a group, I would take on everyone else's stuff. That was not what I needed, but that was the policy. And uh, I, I, you know, whether right or wrong in my thinking and where I was at, I couldn't do it. Uh, and maybe things would have been different if, if I had just sucked it in and, <laughs> and gone to this, <laughs> gone to this thing. Um, but I don't know. I was very afraid that I would end up becoming even more of a mess. Um, and then when I went to the doctor, I just, I, I just made a list of everything that was going on for me. And uh, from the top of my head down to my toes, physical, mental, everything. And then he was, he just said, well, well you have too many children and <laughs> you've had them too fast. Yeah. And my mom actually, he's my mom's doctor. My mom has 11 children. And he said, please don't be like your mom. <laughs> <laughs> and here's some Prozac. <laughs> so, 
So uh, if, if things don't get fixed from having this Prozac, then we'll talk. That was, that was basically, I mean, I mean, that's fair because he recognized absolutely that was probably what was going on for me, but I didn't understand enough and I didn't um, clue into the mania part of it. And so I didn't mention that to him. I just was went in where I was at in the moment and all the things that were going on. So that was, you know, <laughs> how <Wow>. it went. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, five children, of course, like people, your mom, you said had 11, Mm -hmm. um, like back years ago that that was normal. People had like nine, 10, 11 children. And so, yeah, you had half of that, but I mean, even one child, um, can take a toll. Like if you don't have the right supports, um, in place or there isn't the compassion or, um, the care out there. So, so you got onto the medication and then did that, that start to turn things around or were, were still, um, were things still manageable? And did you have any support with your five kids as well? Uh, yeah. So to answer the second question, I absolutely had support. Um, the, my mom was in another province, but, uh, we'll get to what happened then. <laughs> um, and then I had through church and I had my sister who lived close. And so, so there was, I had a number of really, really good friends. So, and the time that I really was struggling, I, and that was a couple of years later because I had just um, started on the Prozac. Uh, so then to go to the first question, they said, they told me that it would take a little while for it, for it to kick in. So for the first couple of weeks, and I, and I had been dealing with like just constant rage, just this horrible, horrible rage and hate and just, just terrible negative and it's so hard to be like that when you have kids, <laughs> when you when you have a brand new baby and you have a little toddler and you have sweet little children, and um, and so I just I would I I prayed a lot. I prayed a lot. You know, take this away from me, uh, and if I can't take it away from me, then help me just to give them the life that they need. And if this is my cross to bear for the rest of my life, so be it. But please just help me do this. Um, so that helped uh, quite a bit. I have a very strong faith and um, I have relied on it quite a bit in my life. Um, but the yeah, for two weeks, I was sort of in a, a drug-induced fog. <laughs> and then I woke up one day and suddenly the sky was clear and uh, metaphorically. And I actually felt like I could enjoy my kids. I felt like I was actually kind of tickled by some of the things that they did. And, and uh, I wouldn't say that I was happy, but I wasn't angry. I, I was nothing. I was really nothing. Like, and, and, I, and I, at first it was uh, almost like a honeymoon because I was like, oh, I'm not angry anymore. So I must be happy. And this is great. But then I realized that no, there was nothing. There was a no feeling. And that was scary to me too. So um, I still while I wasn't going to kill anyone <laughs> anytime soon or, or myself or, or break something or, or burn the house down. I was, uh, I, I, after a while, I just didn't like this feeling of blah. And that was a struggle for me. So, uh, but, but, but that being said, it gave me the headspace to be able to make some different choices and um, learn a few things about my illness and find um, some alternatives 
that would that would work for me that I didn't have before because I was really in quite quite distressed. So there's certainly a value to the medication, but it was not something that I wanted to do long term. Okay. So, and you said you, um, when you went into the doctor, you had five kids under six, at what point did you go in and reach, um, out for help? That would have been, uh, probably a few months to a year after my youngest child was born. Um, because yeah, just time is long time ago, but yeah, it would have been, it would have been around that period. And then getting onto the Prozac and trying to figure all that out um, by two and a half years. Uh, my youngest was two and a half years old, uh, or almost three actually, when I had a big, huge breakdown because I had gone off of the medication <laughs> and crashed <laughs> again. <laughs> and, um, and then I had to uh, pack up everybody. I didn't know how long it was going to take. My husband was in school and uh, he needed to focus on his school. Um, so unbeknownst to him, I, uh, from my hospital bed where I really wasn't comfortable, but I had put myself there. Uh, and then there's another story. I go into the hospital and they, and I mean, I get it. I get it. The world is full of crappy things and crappy people, but they, they wanted to know, and I'm a grown woman at this time. I'm 27, 28 years old. And, uh, they're asking me did my father abuse me? Did, you know, all of these things. And I was just like, I, I, don't, I don't need to be here. This didn't happen. I had a very good childhood <laughs> um, and you won't believe anything I say anyways. And so, um, yeah, I, it just wasn't a good scene. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to my mom's. Um, and so that's what I said the whole time I was in there. It's okay. I don't need to go to group. I'm going to my mom's. <laughs> mm. So I stood in line for my medication like a good girl. I did all the things, but I wouldn't participate in any of their thing because I was going to my mom's. So I packed up the kids and on Valentine's Day, on Valentine's Day, I drove, my parents drove up from Alberta and I, and I drove away from my husband who had still no real clue what was going on. <laughs> on valentine's day the christmas tree still up in the living room I, I have this vivid image in my mind of our big picture window and him standing there with this look on his face of i don't know what just happened but i lost my family and uh, it still breaks my heart to this day he was very understanding um and and eventually was able to figure it all out but um there's a, long, a lot more to, to it than that he wasn't completely clueless the whole time but just the fact that i was leaving he was what <laughs> what's going on so I went there, I enrolled my kids in school in my parents' little town, and uh, I was prepared to stay there until I got myself together. And so that was the journey that I started with um, natural products and just diet and exercise and all the things that sort of transformed me to a certain point. Um, I was there for eight weeks, and then I felt like I could come home and continue my journey. And uh, we we relocated back home and uh, continued to do that. Um, and still was a struggle. It still was, I was still fighting. I was still uh, fighting the, the madness a little bit. And um, every day was just really a struggle, uh, but got into kind of a normal groove for a few years until I found another product that, that has really worked for me. Um, and that's, I haven't looked back since then. So 19 and a half years ago, I guess or so. 
and uh, and that was where finally I could all the voices, all the images, all the silly nonsense that was going on in my head that I had to always push through it, it just to live my day <laughs> were silenced. <laughs> so what a so blessing. I, yes, it was a very big blessing. And uh, my kids were just, oh my goodness, at that point in time, I think they were all in school by then. So it would have been, my youngest would have been seven, I think, at the time. And yeah. Wow. So what do you think it was about going back home to your mom's house that um, helped you make that shift? Well, the having the time and the support with the kids to do what I needed to do for me, for sure. Um, I, it was still, it was obviously still winter when we went there. So I, they had a three acre um, uh, place there. And uh, every day I would just go out and jog through the snow around the perimeter a couple of times. <laughs> and then I got to, you know, going on longer walks in the countryside kind of thing, but I'm um, just being out in that space. And it was really very, very tranquil. And, um, and I was able to just take that time for myself whenever I needed it to do whatever I needed to do with my parents taking the load of the kids. Um, I just still remember them on their mattresses in the, basement unfinished basement of this house <laughs> we've had a few of those but uh, uh all in there in like a little refugee dormitory <laughs> they were happy and they had their their well they had their aunts and uncles because my my parents actually still had some kids my my children's age still at home ish and so they had their aunts and uncles and sort of like cousins to play with and uh and they were happy. I don't think they really even hardly noticed anything. <laughs> it was really out of the ordinary. It was probably them. like a vacation for them. <laughs> like, like yeah. they had to go to school, but that was okay <laughs> they were having a good time. And, uh, and mom was not a beast. So that was good. <laughs> good for them. And then, um, so yeah, um, I'm not sure. Well, I don't really care about uh, um, advertising products, but it was um, a product product from a company called Sunrider that I was first using that was that at that point in time um, that was really helpful and for my hormones for uh, just a few other things I don't even remember but it was it was really helpful and then I went on a very strict um, food combination diet so just eating proteins and vegetables no not eating fruit with anything and not eating carbs with proteins and just really clean just really clean clean eating and uh and I remember during that period of time, it's, it's actually interesting because I, I did a lot of research about depression and mental illness and all the things. And, and, um, and one of the things that I had learned, I'm not even sure that what, what the order was of it, if it was after or before, but just that when you are putting your body back together again, that it, that's some people have found that you kind of do, a, it's like a reverse engineering where you start you start to see the the latest symptoms go and then you whittle down and whittle down until you get to the original uh, sort of core. And for me, it was my gut. And uh, that, that recognition was very clear. I can remember sort of thinking, wow, I really do feel like I'm aging backwards here in a way, not aging backwards, but just going backwards through all of the things that I have experienced for the last several decades right so for a couple of decades I was only in my 20s 
so uh, yeah, it was just it was an interesting time and uh, learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about how to manage my my situation and uh, got really clean in my eating and in my my living and that made a big difference. But like I said, there was still it was still a struggle every day and there was still something that I needed. But um, uh, yeah, the just having that space was, and I know that not everybody gets to have that, and so I feel very blessed that I was able to have my family be able to enfold me for that period of time. Yes. How wonderful. I know you said a few things there. One, um, getting outdoors and into nature and how tranquil it is. I feel like a lot of people, when they get to that space where things are kind of going awry, when you disconnect and just get into nature, there's just something that it does for people. So I love that you had that space to just get outside into nature um, and had that for you. And gut health is, that's what it has been like kind of on the forefront of conversations lately, how important your gut health is to your mental health. And I know like, just even thinking for me, it just, even the tiniest things when you, uh, depending on what you're eating and putting into your body, how it can affect your mood, like instantly. And yeah. so and um, we don't pay attention. Even now, I mean, years later, I'm I'm stable, I'm fine, and I have to do tune-ups every so often. I don't take as good of care of myself as I used to. And I feel that I do feel the the strain. I can handle the strain better, but I still feel it. And I and it it's it's a constant reminder, you know what? You really do need to pay attention. <laughs> right. And <laughs> and definitely not only when I know I think I feel like people kind of um wake up when things are really, really, really bad or pay attention. But then when things start to get better, and I mean, I'm guilty of this myself, you're like, oh, I'm okay. And then the the things just kind of fall away because it's not right in the forefront, like right in front of your face. But that's such a good point to um, kind of keep it up or, or, you know, try your best because. (laughs) Try to be consistent anyways. I mean, obviously, we need to enjoy things and there's, there's, there's things that, you know, like that ice cream or whatever here and there, but we don't need to go overboard either way. I think, I mean, moderation in all things really is a good motto because you can go a little overboard on taking care of yourself too. And that can create some issues as well. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, Okay. So now you are, you've been to your mom's, you are back home now. Um, things are more manageable. Um, when did you decide to, or you were, you went off to university. Um, was this shortly after, or when did this happen with your? Oh no, the university was a long time later. Uh, I was able to manage my life for quite a while. And we ended up moving to Grand Prairie, uh, for my husband's work. And that's where I met a lady whose family had developed something. She actually was, uh, had experienced bipolar and with a history of bipolar in her family. And her father had actually developed a nutritional supplement that had made a huge difference. And so um, she was actually um, asking me to look after her children. And, and after some conversation, because she had some things that she needed to do as they were building this company and other things going on. So um, she was, 
looking for a safe place for her kids to stay while they were away. And her and I had become friends, uh, friendly anyways. And um, she had just felt, you know what, I think this is the lady I could ask. <laughs> so, which is kind of a nice thing to know that at least I was to a good point, to a good enough point that someone felt they could leave their kids with me. Uh, but my kids were all older at this time. I had uh, teenagers and my youngest was seven, I believe six, probably six. And uh, anyways, we, we, we really hit it off. And so she asked if I could have the kids and I just said, well, I, that's fine. Um, and we talked a little bit about how, you know, we started getting onto mental health and I was just telling her my story of where I was at to that point. And she says, oh, here, take this bottle and then you'll be fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that night I actually took the, and now remember I had been living clean. I was, I hadn't had no medication for many years. So um, I, my, my body was in a very good place to accept this new nutrition. Um, she said, sometimes it takes a little while for this to really kick in, but just try it. So I did. And I took, uh, at that point in time, there was a lot of pills you had to take. Now they've made a lot of refinements and it's a lot less, <laughs> less, uh, bulky, but I took the pills about, uh, eight or I think at eight at that time. And it, I went up to 16 of these capsules. Um, and, uh, that night I love to tell this story because it's, it's as if you don't know what's going on until it stops really. Um, but that night I described it like, it was like, I was in my mind, there was a whole bunch of TVs, big ones, little ones, loud ones, quiet ones, ones with statics, ones, some with pictures uh, and things going on, colored, black and white, all these things. It was just like this. I really literally could see this in my mind and every single one of them, one at a time, just popped off. Like, you know, how they, how the old TVs used to go in and they had the little sound. <laughs> That's exactly what happened in my brain that night. Like I took it that day and it started working immediately because my body was so receptive and ready for it. Um, I don't think it would have, if I was, if I started to take it today, it would have gone that fast. <laughs> but, but uh, at that point in time, I was really ready and it was, I didn't have to fight. I didn't have to fight it anymore. I literally could just live my life and relax and my this whole stranglehold that I had on my mental health I could let go and it was okay um that was an amazing experience for me I haven't looked back I continue to use the product and I um and I have been able to move forward in my life in a lot of really good ways so at that point in time my youngest was six I think I would have gone to He's 26 years younger than me. So what does that bring us to? 42? Yeah. So, oh, no, I don't even know. Sorry. I'm really bad at the math for this. I should have thought about it better and had my timeline in front of me. But uh, it wasn't, uh, I, I think my youngest was 11 when I started school. I was 37. Someone else can do the math for me. That's all. <laughs> so I was 26 when I had my last child and yeah so 11 she was oh I can do math <laughs> I started 37 years old I went to university I had my teenagers just about ready to graduate one of them and I actually literally was in class with some of my daughter's cohorts at one point they had oh wow college <laughs> and so I had taken a couple of classes and the new little freshman came in and 
yeah they were hey are you Michelle's mom <laughs> so, yeah that's weird okay <laughs> so yeah um so what drove you to go to university at 37 I really because of my own experience with um with, with the whole mental health thing and not not knowing how to navigate the system. Um, and then also just wanting, I had, I just wanted someone that I could talk to that could, could really help me. And I thought, you know, I can be that person. I've gone through this now. Um, I, I am, I am a natural teacher and a natural leader. And so it just was a, a sort of a natural thing of, you know, physician heal thyself but then you're still a physician, right? So in a way, right? And so um, I just naturally kind of went to this place of, okay, I'm, I've learned as much as I can on my own. I'm going to learn some more and I'm going to understand how this all works. And then I'm going to be a counselor. I want to help other people to do this. Um, and, then, uh, and then I can maybe help to create something that works better for people. So... Uh, but it was, it was clear before I even finished my school. It took me, like, I actually honestly still haven't got my full degree. I have two classes left that I have to take, but I got into working with this not-for-profit, um, well, a charity, uh, Canadian Mental Health Association in Grand Prairie. I ended up being an executive director. That's a whole nother podcast right there. <laughs> 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 we might want to do this again. Um and uh, and just realized that sitting across from someone and I, and I I value counselors don't get me wrong but for me I realized I have more of a systems mindset and sitting across from someone in an office and trying to help them to go out into a system that's broken um, felt like hitting my head against a brick wall and that I wouldn't be able to really authentically. Do <laughs> for very long so I turned in turned my attention more to um, community and systems work and um, that kind of a focus to develop stuff that helps people and and um, uh, figure out how to help communities work better so that people can get the help that they need and that the systems that they live in and work in will be able to help heal with them and help them heal rather than uh, because that we know recidivism is a huge problem with any kind of addiction mental health all those things and part of the reason is is because you're still going back to your screwed up family you're still going back to your your cranky workplace that doesn't get it um you're still going back to a community where your drug dealer lives and all the things right and so so our systems needed to change with the healing. Um, I saw that in my own family, that my family had to get used to me uh, being well <laughs> and um, trust my wellness. Um, and uh, I think uh, there's, there's a few problems that was caused because that, because that trust wasn't initially there. Um, and so that caused me to doubt myself or be frustrated, which you know, creates more of a cycle again. Um, and so thankfully I have a fantastic family and wonderful husband who, who actually, you know, did their best to believe in me and help me along this path. But, but in other situations, 
people have done some horrible things to their families. People have are embarrassed and ashamed uh, of of the of the the stuff that was part of their illness, and it's hard to to help the family dynamic move past that um, when when those sorts of things happen, and that and for that person to trust themselves as well. So uh, everybody's experience is different for sure, um, but there are some of those uh, universal truths, which is that your system needs to believe in your wellness. <laughs> and if they don't, then that creates, a, it's crippling um, and it gets in the way of your, of your recovery. Uh, and so, yeah, I just sort of, there's so much. And now going from that comment to where am I today? I don't feel like I'm as far along as I would really like to be. I feel like for the last, well, how many years, 16 years since I started college, I guess so for the last 10, 11, 12 years, um, I've been working on different things, uh, researching different things, trying to get some stuff going, um, bumped into the system a few times, um, had to start over again and uh, starting from nothing again six years ago to build an organization um, we work with people with developmental disabilities that have mental illness and other and addiction issues. Uh, complex needs is what the terminology is. And, um, but so I'm still not where I want to be with a, having a place for other people in the community to come, but we're in the process of developing that in a community center. Um, we're, we're getting it to the place where we can open it to, uh, we actually have a program now that we're advertising and hopefully getting some people to join us with um, the marketing pieces is where we're at right now we've got the foundation laid and um, we have a lot of the best practices figured out and we're still open to more and um, the whole uh, community collaboration piece again I I feel frustrated with that as well but we're still you know we're working towards that and we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and we're seeing opportunities to collaborate and and you just it's it um I, I, actually, there was one thing that I was going to say, and I, I wanted to really make uh, make sure that I was able to say it, and it seems like the best place to do it. All, all along for myself, uh, my own health and my own sanity, I have to do things at the speed that they can be done, not pushing myself, and try, and I have to be patient with the process. And so I have really learned that to let things happen organically. Yes, you have to push the window. You have to, you have to put some pressure on for sure, but you can't force things to happen. And so the journey becomes uh, having an experience that takes you in a direction, learning some things, figuring some stuff out, take what you need, leave the rest, move from there. It's a foundation. It's, it's, uh, you're, you're building a foundation for whatever is going to come. And you're constantly doing that. And you're constantly evolving and and so i've had to learn to be patient with myself and patient with people around me because as a vision holder and as someone who is always wanting you know what okay so now what you know we've got to do what's the next thing uh you you make yourself crazy if you if you uh rely too much or put too much pressure on people around you who aren't there yet and need to get there um, i have a fantastic team and, and have had opportunities to work with different people in different situations over time. Um, and some of those people have stayed with me 
and now we're and now we're with me in my business um and just uh just learning to like i said be patient with the process but don't but don't give up you know the the dream the vision always stays the same and we do our little things and i've noticed um working in grand prairie for uh a few years with with cmha and some of the things that we tried to put out in the universe <laughs> things that we tried to do 11 12 years later they're happening there's changes being made um there's there's little glimpses of okay we did have a little bit of an impact there at least to at least to solidify the message <laughs> and uh and give that just help to continue the momentum i guess of the awakening and the change and bringing things to people's minds and and asking questions and and trying to put solutions out into the universe. I mean, if they didn't work fully, <laughs> that somebody took hold of it and uh, and was able to uh, bring the pieces into it that needed to be there. So it, yeah, it's exciting to see. And, and I've learned to really just trust that process and recognize that it doesn't matter uh, who gets the credit for things as long as things are changing. <laughs> mm, I absolutely love how you brought that up. Um, trusting in the timing, because when you have a vision and I mean, and it's so clear to you and you know, the end vision, then it can get, um, sometimes we can be like, okay, rushing the timing of everything yeah. or being impatient. So really if you hold the end vision, it's the people who are consistent, um, and keep showing up and being patient through it, then eventually, um, when you get there, it'll all be worth it. But yeah, realizing that even though you have the vision, you want it to be like, now, <laughs> like there is a process to it. And I like also how you said within the process, there are things that you learn and you take and you grow and you, um, and you evolve that way too, just even through the process. So I love how you're holding strong to your vision and just being patient with it because, um, it will be so beautiful to see it all come together. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and we are seeing that to a certain degree in our little tiny uh, contract community that, you know, we have this contract so that we can have the bread and butter so that we can do the work that we want to do and grow this, this project. Right. Um, in the meantime, we're experiencing some wonderful breakthroughs with the people that we work with and um, learning so much and getting training and, um, that's just uh, enriched that vision and and helped us to see the the different components that we really need to make sure that we have in there. So yeah, it's a, and and then like I said, just the people that have come along and that are that are gathering <laughs> around this. So different opportunities starting to come through, and um, yeah, it's it's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> but like I said, it is. It sometimes I feel like. I actually just went through something a, a few weeks ago and I was just like, what have, what have we actually really done? Like really? And I had to really <laughs> examine that. And um, obviously with the, some input from other people, it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you, you can't build this overnight and now we're ready for the next phase. And that's what we've been doing. I've been spending for the last three years, tons of my time renovating this big center um, and feeling like, 
when is this ever going to end? And, you know, evolving the, the social enterprise ideas and just uh, you know, trying to find a way into different things and spending money on something that ended up not happening and, <laughs> and just getting frustrated. But always, always, always you come back to, okay, we're laying a foundation here. We're, we're going to be able to open the doors to a broader group. We'll be ready. We've, we've got a better idea of, of what we can do and what we need from other people, you know, all, all of the, all of that. And then just, yeah. And trying to create sustainability for what we're doing. That's, that's where we're at right now is just, is just finding the ways to um, including, including social enterprise and what we do and having that business mindset uh, allows us to uh, provide for opportunities for people, but also bring in the dollars to help continue the work so that we're not right. beholden to the government all the time or to some contract or program that may or may not be available to us. That the people, I look at the people that we work with now, they've, be, they've become our family. And I can't imagine being, you know, saying to them, I'm so sorry, you're on your own. <laughs> right. There's not money anymore. in the budget for to ever be in that position. I want to be able to. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. We're going to have to drop you. Mm, no. <laughs> right. Okay. So what are some of the things you said you wanted to create um, the things that weren't available for you when you needed them? So what are some of those things that you are working to um, give like hold space for, for these people who are in need? So one of the things that, uh, well, a lot of, there's a lot of things that kind of all, it's not a simple, it's not a simple answer, but something that I have learned uh, in my work and in my research um, in best practices and, and uh, solutioning for different things is that you need to have a, uh, you need to have a good community around you. You need, we can prevent a lot of the crisis if we are doing the prevention. And that prevention includes having a community that's accepting, that is loving, that um, you have, you can be shoulder to shoulder with people and have shared interests and um, having uh, a, a community that's kind of cued into the support you as a, as a person who is involved in the church community, I, that's been my whole life. You know, there's people around, they see you, they recognize, oh, you're struggling. Let me help you with this and, you know, do this, do this. Um, but, uh, but there's not enough, at least the time that I was there, there wasn't enough, when I was at, at the place where I was, there wasn't enough knowledge of them to, to know what to do to help me. So having an informed community that has capacity and supporting that capacity for that grassroots community rather than institutionally helping people the institutions need to be for the hard cases for the for when it's really a crisis and we really like there's really something super big going on for somebody um but for most of the population i truly believe that a, an engaged compassionate community is is really going to be the key to breaking some of those cycles um, and a community that that where we're learning and we're teaching our children about nutrition and we're and we're um, able to feel like there's people around us that care and even with this pandemic like 
it's almost taken us backwards in a way because we're isolating and, and it's, it, we see the, the impact of that isolation uh, on people. Um, thank goodness in some ways for the internet because there's still, there still is that, you know, some semblance of connection, but it isn't enough. And um, so what we want to do is just create an inclusive space where people can come and get together around interests rather than diagnosis, um, mm. not be pigeonholed because of their diagnosis, uh, be able to learn um, and mentor each other. Uh, one of the things that I have found is that uh, I have a sort of a, um, a back or a foundational framework around what, what I do and what I believe um, in this work. And that is the, the four, uh, the uh, medicine wheel with the four sort of sections of, um, I'm gonna just really mess it up and somebody in the <laughs> in that world is gonna be insulted by what I say. So sorry right now, but uh, <laughs> but um, that whole like uh, babyhood, youth, um, adulthood, and elderhood represents to me crisis, learning, mastery, and wisdom sharing. And so uh, every one of us in any part of our lives is in in, in any part of our lives is in one or the other of those those sections at the same time. So uh, I remember when I was in crisis, I still had people coming to me because I was a wisdom holder for them for certain things. Um, uh, and people in people who are in the mastery phase need people in crisis to help so that they can get stronger with what they are learning and and knowing how to do. Um, people who are obviously in the learning phase need the elders to teach them. Uh, the people who are in the mastery phase are too busy. <laughs> we, we need the wisdom holders to teach. Do you know what I mean? So there's, mm -hmm. and, and, but, a, but a child, even a, we ran a, we ran a building for people who were, were trying to help people get off the street. So there's a lot of addiction and, and, and uh, real just struggles, mental health and addiction for a, a number of the people who live there. And I remember having an exercise with them where we asked them to be, uh, to put themselves kind of on that, that spectrum. Where are you in this? Where are you in this? Where are you in this? And it was a revelation for them to realize, oh my goodness, I am actually, uh, we, we were using the village model actually with the, the children, the mothers, the elders and the warriors. And so um, they, th this revelation in, in their eyes and their hearts just lit up <laughs> when they realized, oh my goodness, I'm a child in this. I need help with my addiction, but I'm a warrior in this and I can help protect other people and, and you know, be part of, this, uh, part of a solution for someone. Um, or, or I'm a nurturer. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I can't budget worth beans, but I'm a nurturer or somebody who, who is uh, uh, in, in the throes of addiction, but was an amazing budgeter, you know, whatever you just, just those are just random, random examples, but, but it was just a, a revelation to them to realize I have value. I am needed. I have something to offer the community. So for me, that's really the, the ultimate goal is to be able to form some sort of a system within the community where the where the value of every individual is recognized where everyone recognizes their responsibility to the whole group and yes it's a utopian dream yes it is 
but if we don't dream the dream, we won't build it. So I'm, Absolutely. I'm, the dream and I'm trying to do what I can to at least create it in a small form um, and looking for opportunities to be able to, you know, work with, with smaller communities because that's where most of the needs are. Or, well, there's needs everywhere, but that's where there's a lack of resources um, and, and go in with the belief that we hold our resources here. What we have, what we have today, we can be enough to get started to help things be better. So if we work together, the different sectors working together, um, everybody doing their part and recognizing the value of each person's part, even the ones who we look and say, oh my goodness, they really need help. They have something to offer too. And, and it's in that offering of their help that they get that leg up to towards their the end of their uh, story, which is wellness, which is being okay, whatever that looks like for them. So anyway, I don't know if that is a clear enough explanation, but yeah, no. big picture. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I love how you in that kind in that system that people can recognize you can be both you can be going through crisis and have something to offer at the same time. So having the resources um, definitely will be so powerful in the change that is going to happen because without the resources, then it just, the cycle just continues. So I love that you're doing that. Trying to, for sure. We've had in our, in our workplace, we have people, I mean, because I have mental illness, I have a lot of people, I'm, I'm not, there's probably not anybody anywhere that doesn't have some degree of, of some sort of mental challenge or emotional challenge, um, or is, is um, reeling from the stress of someone else's in their life. So uh, we've certainly seen our share and have tried our best to support people that work with us in as many ways as we can. At at times, sadly, we've had to let people go because their dysfunction was just too much for, you know, being able to actually, uh, it created a risk for for the agency, which then creates a risk for all these other people we're employing and the people we're helping. So, um, but it, it, even in the workplace, there, there, we've seen the need for being able to figure out how to, you know, trauma-informed management, for example, that's something that, that's kind of come up in the last few years, it's sort of for trauma-informed care and uh, recognizing that we all have a struggle. We all have something that needs to be supported or at least understood <laughs> yes making a space for uh for that to be able to be worked through um but with accountability to the people around you and um it is, it, it's a it's a compassionate way of living and i would really love to see that happen more in our world <laughs> i love that yes um it's a big big lofty dream but it is <laughs> absolutely, um, available. And I mean, it just starts with one person and one, um, starting the change. So I absolutely love that you're doing that. Cause I feel like, like you said, sometimes those people do fall through the cracks and end up in the cycles, but you're creating the space for them. So, um, I want to end with this question. So, what is one simple thing that we can all do to help support community service in our own community? I, I think 
what comes to my mind, I mean, there's so many things people can do. We all have something that we can offer. And I think that's probably where it starts is recognizing and really being honest with ourselves about what I have to give. Um, and then learning about the, the situation in your community, um, learning about the people who are struggling. The, the strength of a community really is uh, boils down to the condition of the weakest. Uh, I know I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that quote properly, but that's the, that is the, the weak link in the chain. But those people who we, who we look at as the weakest, it's only their circumstances that make them that way. And if we can help to change their circumstances, they will strengthen our community. They will become, and the process of doing that will help us to be better as community members too. So I think that's really it is just being honest about what we have to give, honest about what our hangups are ourselves and learn about the people that are in need in your community, learn their stories, learn, get a different perspective. They're not a, they're not a drain on the system unless we let them be, unless we leave them to be. I guess that's really what I, what I want to say. They are, they are not a drain on the system unless we leave them to be. And then that's on us because mm. we've, we've left that hole open and we haven't done anything to stop it. Wow. I love that. So yeah, like she said, go out into your community and find out where, where the need is and what you have to offer. Because yeah, if we just let people be um, a product of their circumstances, instead of lending out a hand or doing something to help, then yeah, I guess it is on us. So thank you for sharing your story. It is a powerful one. And I hope that people go dive into their community and figure out where they can lend a hand and help out and offer um, what they have to the people who are in need, because you never know when it could be you in that position. And you might be the person who is wanting that compassion and care and that help as well. Absolutely. I'm going to send you the link to my song, not in my backyard. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We will link that in the uh, show notes and the website. So you can go check out what Deborah is doing for the communities around her. So go check that out after you listen and go check in to see where you can do your part. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of all things relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.